TheLogbook.com and Don't Give This Tape to Earl are brought to you by CBS All Access, the exclusive U.S. home of the new series, Star Trek Discovery. You can sign up for a free one-week trial of CBS All Access and catch up on Discovery, or sign up for a subscription by going to TheLogbook.com and never miss an episode. Thanks to CBS All Access and CBS Interactive, and to you for supporting TheLogbook.com. Don't give this tape to Earl listeners, just a brief note on what you're about to hear. As you may or may not be aware, I have had not just problems with my health, but with my computer's health over the past few months, and that includes actually having to get a new machine and having to jump through some hoops to get it to work with my microphone. There are also some lost files here and there that kept the August edition of Don't Give This Tape to Earl from coming out. And so, here it is. I have, I, I think this is actually probably an improvement in that I distinctly remember some of the original takes on the center portion of this show. It came off as really angry rants, and that's just not me. Not unless you get me started about current American politics, which this isn't, and that's not what this show is about. So, this gave me an opportunity to redo the middle portion of the show a little bit, keep the rest of it, finally put it together, roll it out the door. Yay! It's the August edition of Don't Give This Tape to Earl in October. I hope you enjoy it, and there will actually be a whole new show fairly soon. Thanks for listening. Mr. Announcer! The yum. Oh, my. Thank you very much. I'll be alive. Oh, my God. The city giver's dead. Welcome back to Don't Give This Tape to Earl. I'm Earl Green, your host. The person to whom you ostensibly should not give a tape. Otherwise, you wind up with podcasts like this one being poured into your ears. Pleasant mental image there. It's been a crazy summer, it's especially been a crazy summer as far as me getting podcasts done, and I do apologize for that. Got lots of news this time around, seems like it was only yesterday that it was San Diego Comic Con. I'm recording this just as uh, Star Trek Las Vegas is getting started, and I suspect there will be much more news to come from that, so... Yeah, this is kind of like uh, recording a, you know, recording a newscast summing up the achievements of the 20th century, the day before the moon landing. Um, as far as San Diego Comic Con goes, you could be forgiven for <laughs> thinking that nothing significant happened in the world of comics there because there were so many trailers flying around. The only time you see more trailers flying through the air is during tornado season in Arkansas and Oklahoma. Let's see, we got new new tornadoes. Yep, we got new trailers for Thor Ragnarok, Ready Player One, Star Trek Discovery, Westworld Season 2, Stranger Things, and The Orville, among many others. I have made some corrections and amendments to the premiere dates in the logbook.com forum calendar, where we track air dates for upcoming shows, premiere dates for upcoming movies, 
all sorts of neat stuff. You should check it out. You don't even have to be a member of the forums to use it. Juno flew over the Great Red Spot of Jupiter on July the 10th and obtained just fantastic, amazing images. Mind-boggling. I say we do it again. One of my favorite ones is a... It's just a very short animated sequence because Juno actually spins around. It's kind of like a giant fidget spinner in space. And there is a camera on one side of Juno. So it will only record something... It will only record the details of Jupiter as that camera spins around facing the planet. And so there were, you know, there's a limited number of visual data. Juno was not just there on a picture-taking expedition. So there was only a, a limited amount of visual data, but what people have done with that data is astounding, including this short animated sequence that, you know, it seems like you should start up the theme from the black hole while you look at this because it's the clouds of the great red spot just sort of rotating around like some menacing storm on Earth that happens to be bigger than two or three Earths. SpaceX has been launching and landing them, left and right. However, it seems like there's been a little bit of a walk back from all the talk about establishing a Mars colony. Elon Musk is now talking about establishing a base on the moon. Perhaps a little bit more feasible and a little less pie in the sky. We're going to have to go back to the moon before we go to Mars. If nothing else, the moon is a much more promising launch pad. You assemble your vehicle there, you launch it from the moon, which has minuscule gravity compared to Earth. Makes sense to me. The SNES Classic Edition. Boy, didn't I, didn't I say this was coming about a year ago? Yeah. SNES Classic Edition has finally started to hit the stores after a really screwed up rollout that included pre-orders being cancelled at several online merchants. The big draw for the SNES Classic Edition is Star Fox 2. Now, not included on the SNES Classic Edition is a recently discovered, unreleased, possibly, it, well not possibly, it is unfinished prototype for the SNES version of Rayman. That's, uh, that's an interesting thing to try out. In other video game related news, but not necessarily games themselves, kind of shocking that after 24 years, Sega has withdrawn the rights from Archie Comics to publish comic books based on Sonic the Hedgehog. Apparently, the nearly quarter-century run of Sonic, published by Archie Comics, which has developed its own incredibly deep mythology. Apparently, that's not where Sega sees the property going in the future, so they have withdrawn the rights, and apparently a new Sonic comic starting from scratch will begin in 2018. It will be published by IDW. Netflix's series Sense8 has been cancelled, but thanks to a fan outcry, it will get a two-hour wrap-up special in the next year. There is a Kickstarter 
where they're making a card game out of Burger Time. You heard me right. They are making a card game out of Burger Time. Now, you have to pledge at the $20 level before you actually get a copy of the game itself. I will include a link to this Kickstarter in the show notes at www.thelogbook.com slash this tape so you can check it out for yourself. They, a different day, it's, this is not all, you know, just one all-encompassing day, you know, like you hear about on conspiracy theories. Um, they're making a stage play out of the Twilight Zone. And furthermore, they, and we're now dealing with a third they, uh, Funko is the they in this, in this question. My notes are, uh, <laughs> I was obviously having a little bit of fun writing my notes here. Funko is making vinyl pops out of Tom Servo and Crow T. Robot from Mystery Science Theater 3000. Those should be showing up at the beginning of the year. Where is Gypsy? I mean, do we have to make a hashtag out of this? Where's Gypsy? Have you people learned nothing from Where's Ray? Guess not. In the world of audio, all sorts of interesting things are going on in audio. Derek Jacoby, Sir Derek Jacoby, to you and me, is back as the War Master for Big Finish Productions, taking on the role of the Master before he regenerated into John Sim, and apparently sometime after he ceased to be Eric Roberts. This will be a box set that will be released showcasing the Master's exploits during the Time War on Gallifrey. Also reprising their role from Doctor Who, Georgia Moffat, also known as Mrs. David Tennant, is going to be returning for a series of adventures centered around Jenny, her character from the TV episode The Doctor's Daughter. Georgia Moffat is also the daughter of Peter Davison, so she is actually the Doctor's daughter. And it's kind of funny because Russell T. Davies was going to leave the character dead at the end of her solitary outing on television. And Stephen Moffat, who was incoming as the next showrunner, asked Russell T. Davies not to kill her off. And then he proceeded to do nothing with her. Well, thanks, Stephen. This means Big Finish gets to do something with her. And uh, we're looking forward to that. Now, it seems like everyone wants to get into the audiobook arena because there is a brand new full cast X Files audio drama starring David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson. It's called Cold Cases. And it's. This one is not really done as an audiobook, this is done as a full cast piece, more along the lines of what Big Finish has been doing in the UK for nearly 20 years now. So, interesting. Hey, radio drama's not dead. Well, I say radio drama, it's audio drama. But still, it's not dead. In audio-related news, going on to music, uh, some composers have been assigned to various new series this fall, but the two announcements I'm really excited about, Jeff Russo, or Russo, who has been scoring Fargo and Legion, has been named as the composer for Star Trek Discovery. 
And meanwhile, across the lot at Fox's sci-fi series The Orville, two composers have been named, Bruce Broughton and Joel McNeely. Uh, Both shows will be utilizing a full orchestra. So, good. Good. It'll be interesting to see which show winds up with the better score. Now, I'm kind of surprised that the Orville, given that it's written, produced by, and stars Seth MacFarlane, I would have thought he would have dragged Ron Jones over from The Family Guy to do this space show, although perhaps Mr. Jones does not wish to be typecast, musically speaking. Speaking of casting against type, I don't think it has escaped anyone's notice that Jodie Whittaker is the 13th Doctor. Actually, she's the 14th Doctor, but she's the 13th face, and I'm getting so tired of explaining that. So, yeah, she's the 13th Doctor. That's all you really need to know. She was unveiled in a special trailer after (laughs) the men's final at Wimbledon. That should have been a a hint for all of us. And we'll be talking about this a little bit more later in the podcast. Um, I personally am really excited to finally see this development happen. It's long overdue. Long overdue. We've lost some people. I make it sound like, you know, people just jumped overboard. (laughs) We lost them. We have lost George Romero, director and producer of the Night of the Living Dead series of zombie films. Really, the the seminal work in the zombie genre. Everything zombie-related that has come since then owes a huge debt to the works of George Romero. We've lost Martin Landau, the actor and acting teacher, who some of us of a certain age who grew up watching British shows on PBS like they were going out of style in the 1970s. Some of us know Martin Landau as Captain John Koenig of Moonbase Alpha from Space 1999. You may know him best for his Oscar-winning role as Bela Lugosi in Tim Burton's 1994 film Ed Wood. And of course, he's been in dozens of other things. He was still working up to the time of his death. Trevor Baxter played Professor Lightfoot in one six-part story on Doctor Who in 1977 called The Talons of Wang Chiang. Now, the character of Professor Lightfoot was paired with a boisterous Victorian-era showman named Henry Gordon Jago played by Christopher Benjamin, and they immediately made such a an impact in those roles that some of the behind-the-scenes crew in 1977 began wondering if there was a possibility that these characters might spin off outside of Doctor Who. Now, it didn't happen then, but when they were reunited for a very popular one-off audio story by Big Finish... In the 2000s, it began a nearly decade-long reunion in these roles. Occasionally reuniting with the Doctor, but more often than not going it alone against all sorts of supernatural and unearthly evil forces. 
in the Jago and Lightfoot audio series from Big Finish. Trevor Baxter has left us, and obviously this is this marks the end of the Jago and Lightfoot series because there's no replacing him. We've lost Deborah Watling. Deborah played TARDIS Traveler Victoria Waterfield alongside Patrick Troughton as the second Doctor for one season in the mid-60s. However, that season was regarded as one of the show's finest as it was sort of the monster season. It brought us the Ice Warriors. It introduced the Yeti. It brought back the Cybermen and the Daleks. And much of that season was lost until the recovery of nine episodes in 2013. Thankfully, we now have a pretty good representative sampling of Deborah Watling's performances on Doctor Who. She was diagnosed with cancer mere weeks before she died at the age of 69. Far too young. We just talked about Jodie Whittaker, the new Doctor Who. Let's talk about reactions to the new Doctor Who. Now, last month I talked about the snarktastic reaction to the trailer for Star Trek Discovery, but this time around it was Doctor Who fandom that really disappointed me. Doctor Who is a show whose first producer was a woman, whose early 1970s producers were staunch environmentalists whose 1980s and 2000s producers were gay men and has always had sizable contentions of female fans, gay fans, and more. The idea that Doctor Who belonged to a white hetero male audience is as laughable now as it was in the 1980s. Phil Plate, the bad astronomer on Twitter, made this comment, men complaining about the new Doctor being a woman have spent many years not really understanding what the show means anyway. But I actually think there's a much simpler way to look at this. We have to go back to the monster at the end of the book, in which Grover is going nuts saying, you turned another page! You do not know what you were doing to me! Now stop turning pages! Yeah, that's right. Stop turning pages of history. I'm not saying everyone has to embrace it 100% or leave it behind 100%. Just stick it around. Just stick around and give it a chance and let's let's do be clear on this point very much like Star Trek Doctor Who has its own sexist sins for which it must atone screaming companions subservient female characters there's a lot of lost time that Doctor Who needs to make up for in catching up with feminism I realize that some complaints are not necessarily originating from conscious sexism watching people react to this news it tells you a lot more about those people making the comments than it tells you about Doctor Who it's sometimes a lot more than you're comfortable knowing I've been deeply disappointed by old friends, casual online acquaintances and total strangers reacting to this news 
showing their true colors. Now the actress qualifications are beyond reproach. She has been in Black Mirror. She, of course, was in Broadchurch. And she was also in Attack the Block, which is a movie that seems terribly obscure. Sometimes I feel like I'm the only person on this continent who's seen it. Attack the Block also launched the career of John Finn Boyega, who is now one of the stars, one of the new stars of Star Wars. They have the right performer for the job. Now it's all down to the writing. And in the end, the choice has been made. Jodie Whittaker is the Doctor. My biggest concern now, honestly, is can I get an action figure of her? Just a few further thoughts here. Maybe this is career suicide for someone who writes books and a website aimed at specific shows and fandoms, but I really don't understand this element of fandom. I don't understand the mentality that you're hate-watching something just so you can complain. Let me give you an example. I did not like Breaking Bad. I tried two or three times, having heard how fantastically written it was, I tried two or three times to, you know, jump aboard that train to see if I was missing something, make sure I was keeping an open mind about it. It just wasn't my thing, and rather than sticking around to rack up more reasons to dislike it, I didn't keep watching it. I watched other stuff instead that I did like. Is that really so difficult? Maybe it's because I'm a creative type myself, but even in critiquing, I have a hard time just slamming someone and tearing their work down. Whether their creativity is corporate in nature or they're a small-timer like myself, they deserve constructive criticism. The anonymity of the Internet is the great killer of civil discourse. We have to overcome that and bring civil discourse back, whether it's about British TV shows or politics in the real world, because believe me, there are bigger and more important fights that await our energy, never mind the apparent gender identification of a fictional character. Let's get a little less heavy here. Talk about stuff that I have watched and heard and played recently. Speaking of that Doctor Who finale, that was amazing. That was a great season. That was a great way to cap it off. Peter Capaldi and Michelle Gomez and company only grudgingly have my permission to leave the show. I really... As much as I think that they have yet to cast the wrong person in the role of the Doctor, I wouldn't have minded Capaldi sticking around for another season or two to see what his Doctor would have been like under a different showrunner, a different head writer. But we won't get that chance. New episode of Star Trek Continues debuted over the last weekend in July. It is called What Ships Are For and was written by Kipley Brown, who plays one of the new characters invented just for the fan series. And if this 
isn't the best episode of Star Trek Continues, it is at least the second best episode they have done. Gene Roddenberry would have loved this. It tackles so many very timely topics in that allegorical way that 60s Star Trek made itself famous for. But what it's talking about is it's talking about stuff from 2017. It's talking about immigration restrictions. It's talking about shutting out refugees from war-torn countries. It's talking about realizing that, strictly speaking, you know, you go into the human genome or whatever race's genome you care to explore, there is no such thing as racial purity. We are all... <laughs> we're all mixed up. You know, we're all interrelated. And that's part of why we have survived. So I strongly recommend that you uh, watch What Ships Are For, the latest episode of Star Trek Continues. Guest stars Anne Lockhart and John DeLancey. John DeLancey does not play Q in this one, but he still just almost blows everyone off the screen. It's a fantastic performance. And, you know, he kind of forced the regulars to bring their A-game. And, you know, as if there's a time when they don't. But, wow. It just very impressed. For those keeping score, my previous favorite was the Mirror Mirror follow-up, Fairest of Them All. And I'm going to say What Ships Are For is... Boy, it may be tied with that one for first. Uh, it's the best, one of the best things they have done. I've been asked why I haven't reviewed the entire new season of Mystery Science Theater 3000. Let me let you in on a little secret. I haven't watched all of them yet. I am savoring each new installment of MST3K like a fine wine. The show makes me laugh so hard that I save it for times when I am at my lowest. I mean, is, is there a part of me that wants to sit and binge watch the whole season? Yeah, there is. But I, I save it for when I need it for when they're most needed. However, I will say that the one I watched most recently was Star Crash, and <laughs> that was one of the best values for money in the history of entertainment and the history of science because it transcends relativistic time. The Netflix episodes are kept down to the old time restriction of 90 minutes because... Of course, you know, the show is being constructed with an eye on possible syndication in foreign markets after the fact. And that's why it has obvious dips into commercial breaks that don't exist on Netflix. At least not yet. So, it's kind of interesting. Star Crash, uh, you know, you pull it up, the little timeline thing says 90 minutes. It's 90 minutes. I swear the thing lasted four hours. It transcended relativistic time. That's amazing for anything that has anything to do with David Hasselhoff. Okay. Some really good music out lately. 8-Bit Weapon has graced us with a new album of music done entirely on the Apple II computer. Now, 
If you are like me and you grew up with the Apple II, or in my case, I grew up with a clone of the Apple II called a Franklin Ace 1000, you know that the Apple II series of computers not exactly renowned for its amazing sound abilities. But there have been some advances in technology, there have been some modern hacks done that enable the Apple II's native sound capability to to do more than it used to. And that is definitely the case with the 8-bit weapon album Class Apples. All the music is from the classical songbook, if you will, but it's done in kind of a, uh, you know, kind of a hooked-on classics way. It's got a beat, and it's definitely very computerized. So, you had me at Init Hello S61, guys. I've also been listening to the new album from the Radiophonic Workshop called Burials in Several Earths. Now, the Radiophonic Workshop is what is left of what we once knew as the BBC Radiophonic Workshop. This includes several original members of the Radiophonic Workshop going back to the 60s. So, some of these gentlemen are not exactly spring chickens. However, they are still out there with the oscillators and the wobulators and the tape loops and the analog synthesizers doing what they do best, and it's just astounding.
radiophonic workshop there for you. Just a little snippet from Burials in Several Earths. I cannot recommend it highly enough. I will include a link to the purchasing links in the logbook.com store on our show page at www.thelogbook/thistape. I have been doing some reading lately. I just finished reading an ebook called Fallen Down: Heartache and Compassion in Undertale. A full review will appear on the site soon. I really enjoyed the book, and it will be part of a gaming-oriented story bundle later in the month of August. So you have that to look forward to. We, pl- we play a lot of Undertale in this house, so it was it's a very interesting perspective on it. And one of the things that I have uh, often said about Undertale is that it's got a sort of system of morality where it holds you accountable for your actions. I have loved that idea all the way back to Ultima 4 Quest of the Avatar. And so I really like the idea of my oldest being obsessed with a game that basically holds his feet to the fire and demands an answer to the question, are you going to be a terrible, awful, murderous person or are you going to try to make friends and show mercy and help people? I think that's a very worthwhile thing for a video game or computer game to explore. So having read that book, I am currently reading Richard Garriott's book, Explore Create. Pretty interesting read so far. I'll have more to say about it when I've finished it. Let's see, what else have I been listening to? Oh, there was a new Stargate SG-1 soundtrack from Intrada Records. A two-CD set, all of it, composed by Richard Band, who in the early years of the show, alternated with Joel Goldsmith scoring episodes. You know, they would kind of, sort of like Dennis McCarthy and Ron Jones did in early seasons of Star Trek The Next Generation. Um, Goldsmith and Band, who had worked together before, I mean, going back to the late 70s and Laser Blast, they alternated episodes of SG-1, and there really hasn't been much of Richard Band's music from that series released. I'm hoping that this sold well enough that maybe further Stargate soundtrack releases could be considered viable by Entrada or another one of the soundtrack labels. Have I been playing anything lately? Yes, yes I have. Walmart has knocked the monochrome LCD basic fun mini arcades down to nine bucks a piece because they're about to roll out some new ones. They need to get the old ones out of stock as much as possible. So I picked up the Space Invaders Basic Fun Mini Arcade, which I would not have touched at its original price point because the graphics are monochrome. I mean, it looks like an old wristwatch game. And as you can hear, it sounds like the real thing. And really, the graphics aren't bad if you're willing to forgive the you know, the monochrome black-on-light background rendition of the graphics. So, Space Invaders for nine bucks. They finally found my price that I was willing to uh, spring for one of the older ones. I'm a little bit disappointed to see that the new ones that they are rolling out, they have updated the Pac-Man mini-arcade and they are rolling out a brand new one for Frogger. But 
unlike the Cuber and Centipede mini arcades that I talked about sometime back on this show, these new games have fixed matrix backlit color displays and not actual little screens like the Cubert and Centipede units had. Kind of uh, kind of a letdown. I may wait until those are nine bucks too, till they're on clearance. I've also been playing a little bit more Pokemon Go. Because finally, over a year after the game started, it seems like Niantic has done what I've dreamed of them doing from day one. Because so many churches are Pokestops around here. Well, there's a church literally down the street from my house. In fact, it's a landmark that, you know, anyone who's coming over, I tell them, okay, look for the little church. But it's never been a Pokestop before. I was literally laying on the couch the other night, about to drift off to sleep, and I thought I'd just fire up Pokemon Go and see if it would spawn something right on top of the house. Yeah, just for giggles. And it did indeed spawn something right on top of the house, and I caught it, and then I saw down in the bottom right-hand corner that there's an indicator that there was something else lurking nearby. And so I, you know, touched that little indicator, and it brought up a graphic that made it look like this was a Pokemon that was hanging around a Pokestop. There's not a Pokestop around here. And so I pressed the indicator for the Pokestop, and it blew up, and it's the sign in front of this little church down the street from me. And so, sure enough, I tried it the next morning. As I was driving to work, there's a stop sign there at that church. So I came to a stop. Yeah, I'm out in the country, so there's no one behind me. It's not like I'm holding up traffic. I already had Pokemon Go fired up on the phone. And sure enough, there is a Pokestop down the road from me now. Hallelujah. Now, who says the church doesn't do good things for society? Have I gotten any goodies worthy of note? Oh, yes, I have. Yes, I have. I, uh... <laughs> some of these are presents I got for myself for Father's Day or for my birthday, which hit in June and July, respectively. Um, I picked up the Funko box set featuring the Batmobile and Batman and Robin in the three three-quarter inch scale, which is the most exciting action figure development I have seen in years because basically I have wanted Batman and friends in that scale since I was in my single digits watching reruns of Batman 66 every day at my grandmother's house while she was filling me with Dr. Pepper and Cheetos and grilled cheese sandwiches and I'm making myself hungry. Now, enough time has passed since the release of the Batmobile that the individual carded figures are also available. The characters in the first wave are Batman, Catwoman, Batgirl, the Bookworm, who appeared all of once, played by Roddy McDowell, King Tut, my all-time favorite Batman TV villain, 
as played by the legendary and late Victor Bono. And two different versions of Mr. Freeze. You have the Otto Preminger version, and you have the George Sanders version, who I much prefer. These should be showing up in stores everywhere around you soon. Now, when I did happen to go to my local Toys R Us, because I was actually looking for a couple of things for the boys, I spotted that they had, out on the shelves, the Funko box set of figures from Twin Peaks. Well, I couldn't turn that down. Now, the Twin Peaks figures, you know, it says right on the box, this is an adult collectible. They are not kidding. Because one of the figures is the corpse of Laura Palmer. Not really an action figure, per se, more of a uh, statue. But the detail on it is kind of... It's enough to give me the screaming heebie-jeebies, and I'm in my 40s. So obviously this thing has to be put away where the kids aren't going to find it. Because it's like, hey, why, are, why is this woman wrapped in plastic and bloody? So, yeah, I, I checked out of... I checked out of Toys R Us that day with a couple of Five Nights at Freddy characters, a couple of members of the Paw Patrol, and the corpse of Laura Palmer. Something for everybody. <laughs> On the Doctor Who front, I may have gotten what are the last Doctor Who goodies I will get. Unless Funko, which recently bought out Underground Toys, the US distributors for the Doctor Who figures, unless they announce that they are going to carry on the 5.5 to 6 inch scale figures that had been produced by Underground Toys and Character Options in the UK. The last action figure I've picked up in the Doctor Who range was, of course, Missy. And I also finally have the 12th Doctor's second sonic screwdriver, which is really cool. I would talk about it more here, but it's something that I really need to make a video of for you to get the full the full impact of it. It's a really cool little gadget. Let's see what else. The Art of Atari poster book. Very mixed feelings about this one. Uh, anyone who's been following the Logbook's Facebook page has seen me uh, raise a few complaints about this one. The posters are double-sided. So, for example, and this is an actual example from the book. You can have the cover art from Demons to Diamonds, or you can have Bentley the Bear from Crystal Castles, but unless you buy two copies of the book, you can't hang up both. Almost all of the artwork is cropped. The original artwork as it appeared on the boxes was square. These are rectangles, and so in many cases it's kind of like a vertical letter boxing has been done to them, and it's not pretty. Also, all of the games represented in the Art of Atari poster book are first-party Atari titles. There are no licensed titles, so you do not have the artwork from Pac-Man or Space Invaders. Space Invaders really was the big one that I was hoping might be in there. Space Invaders, Defender, Berserk. They're not there because they are outside licenses. That's that's a lot of misfires for a single product. I I have significant reservations. Uh, one thing that I have found is that 12 by 18 frames work best for the prints in the Art of Atari poster book, 
and fortunately you can pick those up for five bucks a pop at your local Walmart, which is what I have been doing. And I've hung several of them up. I'll include some photos at the show page. www.thelogbook.com slash this tape. Other than that, I've been playing with some interesting decorating and lighting ideas that have been percolating in my head for ages. I have color-changing LED bulbs in... Well, I say it's that they're in the light fixture part of a ceiling fan, except the ceiling fan part of the ceiling fan doesn't even exist. It needs to be replaced. And, you know, I really wish I'd been able to replace it going into the summer, but maybe I can do it cheaper over the winter when ceiling fans aren't exactly in demand. But I've got some color-changing bulbs in this overhead light fixture. And on the table below, which is... It's really a patio table. It was intended to be a patio table set. And I brought it in because I had no other furniture to put in the dining room area after the furniture that was previously here and its owner departed the house. But ever since this patio, this glass top round patio table was bought, the thought had been percolating in my head for years now. I wonder what it would be like if you put a strip of LEDs around inside inside the circle under the glass. Turns out it looks pretty neat. I think it looks pretty neat. It may look kind of cheap and cheesy. My youngest is fascinated with how it works, and so I have to tell him repeatedly, Okay, don't pull the lights down, please. He likes to know how things work. I think he likes to know how Daddy's brain works. Good luck, I don't even know how that works after all these years. As I mentioned, my birthday hit in July with a resounding thud and left a crater in the ground a mile wide. Well, okay, not really. But it did bring with it a very sobering thought. I am now the same age that my mother was when she passed away. That was when I was 14 years old. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things, obviously, that changes everything that has happened since then. That realization, especially considering how many health issues I've had this year so far, that realization occasionally kind of eats away at me a little bit. It's one of the reasons I'm determined to do better at taking care of myself. To that end, I have spent the latter part of the summer you know, almost the end of summer vacation here. School's about to start. But I've spent the past few weeks going swimming with my boys, bringing them home, stuffing their faces, reading bedtime stories, tucking them in. That sort of thing makes me very happy. Now there's one other, one other area that requires a final thought, and this one may surprise you. 
TheLogbook.com needs new blood. I was very specific about putting the word new blood in there. I think you all would have turned it off if I'd said, TheLogbook.com needs blood. It needs new blood. It needs new writers. I can't do it all myself. The areas where I especially need help are science fiction and fantasy programming from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. And I say programming, that also includes movies. There are significant sci-fi properties that are not represented on the site. The X-Files is one of them. It's not there, and it really should be, but it just wasn't my thing, and so I've never watched every episode all the way through. I need someone who has to help out. If you're interested in helping, there is a link to sort of a recruiting page that I've put up. You'll find it in the show notes at www.thelogbook.com slash this tape if you're interested. Get with me. I would be happy, very happy, to have the help. But for right now, thanks for listening. This has been Don't Give This Tape to Earl. I'm Earl Green. I wrote, researched, produced, and hosted this show. I even did some of the music. Some of the music was also done by Kasatochi. If you're interested in helping the show out or helping the site in general out, go to patreon.com slash the logbook. Every little bit helps. I've actually read something recently where if you have a large number of people who are only pitching in a little bit, a piece, that is actually a better thing than having two or three major donors. So, yeah, every little bit helps. A buck helps. <laughs> because if enough of you are throwing a buck at me, um, I make it sound like I'm on a stripper pole here. It helps the site, it helps the podcast, it helps ease things around the house financially, which gives me the time to do this show and the other shows, all that cool stuff. Thanks for listening to Don't Give This Tape to Earl. This has been a production of thelogbook.com.